We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition here of the Big Blue Banter podcast with myself, Dan Schneier, and my co-host, Nick Turchin. We're here to break down the All-22 review that we just went through of the Giants versus Carolina. We're going to preview the Eagles game. We're going to take your questions. We're going to give you a quick update on the final injury report that literally just dropped minutes before we decided to hit record on this podcast. But first, I want to send it over to Nick. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing well. Do not love these short weeks. I get it now why the teams hate it. This is this is this sucks. <laughs> but psyched for a game on Thursday, but not everything that has to happen in two and a half to three days to basically be ready for it. Yeah, I hear you. And it's even tougher after the loss the Giants just had. You know, going back, this was my initial thought anyway, but going back on that all twenty-two tape, I mean, this is a game the Giants should have won. The Giants, in my opinion, outplayed the Carolina Panthers. They had almost a hundred yards more total offense. They Made just again, just this is a team that keeps kicking themselves in the foot. Errors on special teams, key costly ones, like we saw this week. Uh, the third down where they jumped, uh, the third and eight where they jumped off sides, and that one didn't lead to points. But the fumble with Odell Beckham Jr. led to seven points. Key momentum swing. They, you know, they're making mistakes not only on special teams, but with tackling and all of this. We're going to get to, but you know, this is a game the Giants should have won, and even in the end. You know, it comes down to a final 63-yard field goal. And for the second straight week in a row, I saw issues with the officiating. I know we're not going to get too deep into that on the podcast, so I'll give you my quick, brief take on that now. NFL is a problem with the officiating. I made this point earlier. I'm going to make it again. They had some of their best crews and some of their best head judges retire this offseason. And what they have left, you know, Jerome Boger's crew is not going to cut it. And neither was Walt Coleman's. This, these are two atrocious crews that I thought, did atrocious jobs in back-to-back weeks. And and it's not just the Giants. You see what Mike Tomlin said. see what a lot of coaches in, around the NFL have said. And even those that haven't said anything but have had their teams kind of get 
you know, the, the blunt end of this, this terrible officiating, it's starting to have a, have a real major effect on the product. So I gave my two cents there. We're not going to talk about it. Instead, we're going to dive into first, we're going to start with the giants offense and our all 22 review. Um, Personally, I didn't have many issues with the offense outside of their run blocking in this one and their slow start on offense in the first half, which had to do a lot, in my opinion, with Eli needing some time to get settled down. Um, and after that, I thought he was close to lights out, except for the two interceptions. And then, you know, and then there was also just, you know, space for one-on-ones with Jawill Davis and Russell Shepard in the first half. And, you know, the Giants hit a few of them in both the first and second half, but that's more than you can really ask from these two. When you have Joel Davis and Russell Shepard on the field, and even Rhett Ellison in the passing game, it really puts yourself at a disadvantage from a personnel standpoint. They don't have depth at the wide receiver or tight end positions, at least from a receiving standpoint at tight end. And so and I didn't have too many issues with that. But I want to know, Nick, what were some of the first half issues and just overall offensive issues that you saw from this Giants offense in the on the All-22? Yeah, the first half was marred by a lot of just easy, easy missed opportunities to penalties like, you know, like you touched on. I mean, it's funny how one in four, two and three teams, they tend to take a lot of penalties. They tend to make a lot of mistakes. They tend to, you know, mis-execute where it's if they'd simply done this, X would have happened. And that's that was really the case in the first half. You know, Manning missing a kind of an easy route over the middle where he just misses a guy and, he, and he's going to miss, you know, they're, they're, the, the giants and all these players, the starters and role players are all going to have errors. And that's what you saw in the first half, a little bit, you know, a little, the drive at the end of the first half, I was, or then the first, sorry, quarter, um, you know, I, a little, some issues with execution there and play calling, but nothing really crazy. Um, I think the, the bigger issues with the offense are kind of what you alluded to, with right now, there's two kind of things going on. I think the running game needs a little help from the run game coordinator to basically show different looks to the defense, uh, as well as an execution uh, thing as well uh, from 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 the from a blocking perspective. And then as, and then the, the bigger part, I think, and I keep on going back to guys can be upset about the officiating and, and how it was a close game, but if Manning plays as good as he can, they don't lose this game. And that sounds like easy way to, to place the blame, but. Um, you know, right now, I wrote in my notes actually for for Manning. It's it's Jekyll and Hyde with him. He can go throwing one of the worst throws I've ever seen uh, on the second interception uh, to then throw it to having a great drive and leading the Giants down the field, scoring a touchdown in the next possession. And the consistency factor is going to be the key for their offense to be able to, to to produce drives in the field because the running game is not is not is not efficient right now. I mean, I, I your point's well taken, Nick. And there was definitely some Hyde, but to me, there are definitely some. Is Jekyll the who's the bad guy? Jekyll or Hyde? Uh, Hyde Hyde's the guy, the bad guy. Jekyll is the bad guy. So there's definitely some Hyde. I thought, but I thought personally, I saw a lot more Jekyll this game from Eli Manning than Hyde. Um, you know that throw to the inter- second interception of Shepard. It was a miscommunication, I think. I mean, that's what Eli Manning said. I'm going to take his word for that. But he also took blame for it because he didn't see the safety. You know, he you know he didn't maybe he didn't see the safety or whatever happened there. It was a terrible throw. But, you know, aside from those two interceptions, honestly, and some of the first half throws that were off target, I just didn't see much to really blame him for in that second half. Today, uh, you know, in this game, finally he started taking chances against tough zone coverages. It took a lot of chances. He really – there weren't any plays that I saw in all 22 where I was like, oh, he should have thrown there, you know. And you saw a lot of that in the Saints game where, oh, he could have thrown there, he could have thrown this, could have thrown that. More so than not, some of the incomplete passes in the second half were really bad separation by the wide receivers. And you even actually said that yourself um because basically 
Uh, or I'm sorry, you said that yourself in some of the clips I saw you break down on Twitter where, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. on two plays failed to get separation. One was the, the pass that almost led to an interception. It looked really bad on the broadcast by Eli Manning. When you look back on it, you like the fact that he's taking a chance in that, in that spot of the zone. Um, but Beckham really just doesn't get there. And then um, obviously on the on the route near the goal line, the sluggos, Beckham really doesn't sell the route well and gets zero separation. It's a one-on-one situation in the red zone this is a prime opportunity for the Giants to score a touchdown so to me I don't know from what I saw I didn't see as much of it as you did um you know that's just ha- you know we're ne- no one's ever going to see the same game twice and and you know <laughs> things will be different but one thing I did notice and we did I just did, did just touch on it a bit but I did see a little bit of a lack of separation here with these wide receivers in this game um you know not only was there a lack of separation there was some mis- miscommunication the Giants mi- missed a big play with Jewel Davis in the first half where just the two you know, Manning and Davis just didn't look like they were on the same page. But did you notice any issues with the separation from those receiver corps? And is it something where, you know, maybe just the addition of Cody Latimer and, and Evan Ingram, given the fact that this this offense really lacks depth at the scope of players, will make a big difference? Yeah, I think Latimer in the red zone. Um, I didn't outline it in the Twitter thread as explicitly probably as I should have. But, you know, watching – the the clear attention um, and distribution of the ball to Beckham that was made this game specifically, um, you know, his strength is not competing at the catch point against very good corners. His strength is getting open in space, and at least you know he didn't get that much separation in some of those throws. But in the red zone, things become everything speeds up. The windows become a lot tighter, and what I think. The, where the, what the issue that the Giants are running into is they're just they're trying to get the ball to him so much, even in that in this past game, that it's it's requiring him to go out of his comfort zone a little bit, which is fine. But where Cody Latimer is better is that he uses his body to uses his body almost more like basketball to box to both box players out and is better at the catch point to be able to basically high point balls. And that play in the end zone is kind of the ultimate example. I think there were more, uh, and there have been more, just. I just think, it, obviously, you need to get Latimer healthy, like you're saying. Um, so I think that's going to be a big boost. The other side of that is the way they'll be able to, to, to basically even out the coverage across the board so that less that, – that, that, it'll both make the coverages easier for Manning to, 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 uh, to, to check out with, with the actual other side of the, of the formation receiver that's, that, that can actually make catches and can do so in isolation. Um, so I think that's going to, that'll definitely open things up in the red zone. Plus just actually give them a viable target. And, you know, I think Shepard too, Sterling Shepard, I think, you know, I think he's even, even on, even a little overlooked or even Barkley, um, in terms of in the red zone and being able to punch through here, um, or when they need it on a third down type play versus kind of a lot of Beckham targets. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally get it. And, you know, that's something they clearly made an effort to do after, you know, the Saints game and after some of the comments maybe that he made, they wanted to get Beckham the football. They wanted to get Barkley the football early and often in this game. And I got to be honest with you, I do like this offense better when that is a focus of theirs. I understand that, you know, Eli Manning's a quarterback, um, who and, and I understand smart football minds would agree with this, and Eli Manning's a quarterback who wants to take what the defensive coverage is and what the defense is showing them. But at the same time, you just really have – I think that you almost are in better shape when you dictate the game to the defense in this type of offense with two, you know, unbelievable skill position players like Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr. So we'll see how that kind of moves going forward. But before we move on to some of the run game issues, I don't think we really tackle them as much as I wanted to, Nick. Um, I did want to say this. I do definitely want to say this because there was Jekyll and Hyde with Manning, but, you know, the two throws that really stood out to me that 
that showed just the difference and what I wanted to see from Manning moving forward was the touchdown pass to Odo Beckham Jr. off the play action pass where he, you know, he just really throws a, a dime there, drops right into his hands in stride, perfect timing, great chemistry there. And there's a safety that sits down a little. And what I really like is Eli Manning said after the game, I saw where the safety was positioned before the snap. And I saw where he was, you know, and I knew he wasn't going to be able to recover to that. And it was a similar situation on the later post route with Russell Shepard uh, on the final game-winning drive. And by the way, when you rewatch this ball, that should have been a touchdown. Russell Shepard really did a poor job, in my opinion, of not only not having the speed to, because that ball really hits him right in the hands, but he tries to make, he turns it into a diving catch of some sorts almost. So he really just does a poor job of tracking it. But those two balls were some of the best balls I've seen Eli throw in a long time. And most, more importantly, they were great chances he took against this defense. And once again, you know, the common theme is, as we noticed, Nick, the Carolina Panthers really did not play that much too high safety in this game. They played a lot of single high. And really, it's becoming a trend, really, with this Giants offense. But they're doing a much better job against defenses like this. And Eli even said it after the game. He said, look, they made it clear early on with the fronts they were showing. They wanted to take Barkley away. They want to take the run game with Barkley away. So he attacked. And, you know, we'll see how it goes moving forward. I think the addition of Ingram whenever he can come back will help the Giants against cover two and zone defense. I think, you know, committing to running Barkley more will also help. But, you know, with that, with that being said, Nick, as we transition a little bit into that, what were some of the issues you saw with the run game? Because personally, I saw maybe two, three snaps where Barkley did choose the wrong hole, but two, three max. Other times, I just saw Lyman getting beat. You know, Greco, I saw him get beat a couple times. Oh, oh man, man, I saw Wheeler really get beat bad a couple times in the run game. So, you know, what's going on here with this run game? Because every single snap, except for, I think it was two of them, it was a negative loss or he was contacted right behind the line of scrimmage on one of them. It was going to be a loss, but he made an incredible individual play to spin out uh, and then turn it into a big game. But, you know, what are you seeing with this run game? Why is it so unbelievably bad from the blocking standpoint right now compared to the rest of the league? Yeah, I think it's it's an issue of, of a team that needs – that's finding its way and finding its identity. And so if you look at the opening script, you see a lot of 12 personnel, and they're running a lot of 12 personnel either inside zone – with basically force or some level of split zone or duo. And when you're only running those things out of 12 personnel and you're making it a point where, you know, since you have 12 personnel, you have both tight ends on the line, you're making eight gaps for the run for the run defenders to defend. Well, they're going to bring eight players kind of as close to the line of scrimmage as they want to, or as they dare to, depending on what they want to do. And so if you're going to, if, you, if that's going to be your identity and running inside zone and between the tackles that way, you've got to have really good blocking. And, and that's a lot of what the, the Minnesota Vikings were like last year um, with, with Patrick Rivers' offensive coordinator. That's kind of how they like to do things. It wasn't an outside zone-based scheme. It was a lot, a lot of inside zone with combination blocks. And what you're seeing, I think, is is the, is the blocks themselves not be great because overall I think the talent is kind of is, – is, is not where it needs to be basically to, to do that. And then the second point is – I highlighted this one on Twitter, but – you know, I saw an inside zone of the weak side where you see Shaq Thompson clearly jump it and know exactly what was coming because of the setup and because of, you know, basically good tape study. And so I think where, where the Giants are struggling is they don't really have the personnel to run a lot of wide zone or tosses, which the Vikings did run pretty successfully last year when they did as a counterpunch. So that's not allowing a, a good enough changeup. And the whole goal, I think, for Barkley is to get him in space, right? And so when you're seeing him pick the wrong holes, Greg Cosell, I heard him talking about Barkley, and he had an interesting take. 
Barkley, although he's running better in between the tackles, is still making very early cutback reads. And actually, I, even I broke that down on Twitter. But one, but Cosell's interpretation of it is he's running away from players to space. That can be that's a fine line, and I think that it, he can help his blocks a little bit more by staying play side. And he's going to have to do yeah. that this week. But I just don't know if it's I don't know if it's if it's if it's where it needs to be for only running between the tackles versus getting him outside a little bit more at this point. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you because even on these plays when I'm really running them back, and, you know, I agree with what you just said. I agree with what Cassell just said. Give the blockers more of a chance. But some of these plays, even if he gives the blockers more of a chance, nothing's happening. Like, these guys are getting completely beat, some of these guys. Wheeler, Omeme, Greco, mostly, from what I've what I, from what I've seen from that game. So, to me, I think you're right. I think they just have to change the design a little bit and try to get him more in space um, on these run plays. So, that'll be interesting to see if they can make that going forward. I wanted to talk a little before we transition to the defense, um, to the play calling from the Giants in this one. And, you know, to me, I thought I saw a massive upgrade in the play calling. I'm not going to go into specific plays, but there was, and I'll try to put on this, but I will try to break them down on Twitter with some gifs later, just because I think they're better visually when you try to break down these plays. But in general, I like the play calling. One thing I really liked from Shermer, um, and obviously I don't want to give him too much credit because a lot of this, in my opinion, was just good decisions by Eli Manning against certain coverages to take shots down the field at key moments when the coverage dictated it. Um, but I will say this, there were some really good designs in the game that gave Eli and the offense just three first downs. One I remember to Sterling Shepard. Um, in general, I liked what he did, and I liked that when he got in second and 10, he didn't run the ball. I think one of the worst decisions you can make is running the football in second and 10. And now I think that you can't every play throw it or else you'll become too predictable. But at the same time, there are a lot of easy design throws you can have to get yardage and get yourself in a better third down situation. And I think he did that in this game, um, even though, you know, the run game really wasn't giving him much at all. And he tried it. He tried it multiple times, and they really just weren't giving him much. So I was a little bit more impressed with the play calling. Where do you stand on the play calling? I think, you know, it was, it was a solid game for him. Um, I think overall it needs, to, it needs to gel more when you're coming down, when you're coming at the end of the half. Uh, you know, actually, I didn't break this play down. And I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to crush the specifics. But what I'm not seeing, and this is, I think this goes on the play caller, I'm not seeing Manning get to the backside of Reeds really at all when he has protection. What I mean by that is Manning picks a side. Uh, again, Shermer's offenses are half field Reeds, and two half field Reeds put together is a full field Reed. That's how it works. Manning has to pick a side for. First to start, Manning's rarely getting to the other side, and I don't think he's comfortable with what he's seeing. And I don't just throw that on him. Um, meaning, I don't know if it's if it's for whatever reason, it's just not gelling. So I think in week five, you're. I thought they'd be a little farther ahead, um, but overall for this specific game, yeah, I think they I think they did a good job of attacking. They did a good job of attacking a, a, a cover three shell. Is a good way to say it. Yeah, and you're right. It wasn't – I mean, it's a single high, but it's also, like you said, covers three shell. They were playing those cornerbacks 10 yards off the ball a lot of times, you know, right at the sticks from what I noticed with, with one safety over the buff. So, yeah, I thought it was a good way to attack it. And, oh, I, I don't want to go crazy. You're right. It wasn't the greatest called game ever. Obviously, they wouldn't have lost the game if that was the case. Um, but, again, I thought I saw a noticeable improvement. One thing I did think was interesting before we move on to the defense, Nick, Saw a stat online that Todd Gurley has faced the least eight-man boxes in the NFL this year, and I think that's really a, you know that's a nod to Sean McVay, the Rams uh, head coach and offensive play caller, for how he's really done a great job of spreading his personnel and using them to get his running back in good situations. Is that something moving forward that you think you know Shermer hasn't done a great job of getting Barkley in, in good situations to run the football? 
Yeah, I think that kind of ties into what I said before and what that and what that gets into is running out of 11 personnel, which Shermer did a, a much better job of, I thought, last game against the Saints. Yeah. And so when you do that and you and you so again, defenses don't load the box. Offenses do. So if you have 12 personnel with eight yeah. gaps to account for, yeah, with 11, yes, that'll, that, that'll change it. But again, I think it comes back to an identity thing with what the Giants want to do. And I think they want to have a foundational part of their offense, being able to kind of run it from any position. And the only reason, again, I'm, why I say that is because if you look at the opening scripts of so many of these games, it started, you know, it starts with that from 12 yeah. personnel. It does. You're right. It does really seem to start with 12 and then evolve into 11. Um but honestly, especially this week with Cody Latimer due back, and we'll get to the injuries later, and Evan Ingram already just now ruled out, I think they got to stick a lot in 11. I really don't yeah. like if Simonson is on the field. I hate to say it. I wish the best for the kid. But, you know, he's not. He's a detriment, in my opinion, when he's on the field. Um, I personally would rather see Elijah Penny. I'm really surprised he got zero snaps last game. But that's a whole other story. I think this should be a mostly 11 personnel game, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, moving to the defensive side of the ball, there's one player who really stood out to you, Nick, um, and he's been standing out to us both throughout the entire season, really turning out to be an excellent draft pick by Dave Gettleman in his first year, um, really compounding on an excellent trade to move Jason Pierre-Paul's uh, you know, bloated contract. And we're talking about B.J. Hill, and what, what did you really see from Hill in this game that you really liked? Uh, the I was actually surprised not having understood the Carolina offense as well as I should have. The right side of their line is, is really good. Yeah, I mean, these guys were really strong. The very, not to just throw on a tangent, but the very first time I've ever seen Snacks Harrison blown off a ball was yeah. in this game. And like, <laughs> I'm like, who the hell was that? Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to stop. I'm just going to stop you real quick because just to get a quick thing in there. But I mean, like, oh my god, this right side of the line <laughs> is impressive. Like, first of all, Taylor Moden, a guy right. that drafted in the second round. Dave Gettleman, his last draft for the Panthers. Well, he looks awesome so far. Really looks like a <laughs> franchise offensive tackle. He's playing the right side now. Um, I think eventually he might be a left tackle for them. But, you know, just another good sign that Dave Gettleman knows how to draft on some linemen. I know we're going to – we don't want to go crazy because Patrick Omame, blah, 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 Omame, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, free agency is impossible. I said this before. I'll say it again. There's no good NFL offensive lineman in free agency. I mean, DJ Fluker's actually played pretty well. Maybe that was a bad decision by the Giants. But, you know, he didn't fit the scheme they wanted, whatever, whatever. But Taylor Moden, just a guy that Dave Gellman found. And that's really all I wanted to say. The other thing was just I was also stunned to see Damon Harrison blown off the ball more than once, actually. I saw it twice, um, which you just never see. Um, so, yeah, go on. Sorry about that. No, dude, I like that. And that's exactly right. And that's the best part of the banner. But definitely, like, that right side of the line was strong. So what I really started to watch is who can take on these 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 combo blocks and have any chance of holding ground. And and I, I, I don't want to – I knew when I said this a couple of weeks ago that would become this. But he's. I think he's taking on the blocks much better than, than Dalvin Tomlinson. And it's just it, – it makes a big deal when they're running so much power and counter where at that point of attack, if you can give less, it gives your line, your linebackers better angles to get into the ball. So saw that part besides the stuff where he flashes, right, just the, just the ability to be more stout. And that it's it, it also doesn't really take much away from Tomlinson because it just means that Hill's better, I think, at this, at this stage. I really do. Um, and so that was, that was one part. The other part is just his moves. No one got a good pass rush. At all, really, for the Giants. At all. <laughs> but if you had to throw him on a grade of bad, his was the least bad in a lot of ways, I think. And a, a true, they were facing five-man slides, so he would have angles from the interior to play. And, but he has good get-off. He has good get-off. He has some okay upper body moves to basically swim and get through. Um, I like the fact 
fact that he can play long. I like the fact that all the third down stops that they had, he was the no, he had a nose to the ball and is getting in there with with snacks, with Ogletree, with those guys that are getting their hats on, you know, hats on the ball, and that's great. And so I think that it's going to kind of continue, and that's kind of a, a, a big upside for what you're seeing on, their, on the defense. No doubt. And that transitions me a little bit almost naturally to the Giants' pass rush in this game. So for me, I made this point before, and I'll make it again. If I needed to pick one reason the Giants lost this game, it wouldn't be that terrible call on Landon Collins. It wouldn't even be the Odell Beckham Jr. fumbled pun. It wouldn't be the Eli Manning interception. It would be the Giants' lack of a pass rush. There were even a couple plays. And by the way, as we've noticed, uh, and we'll get to this a little bit later, Again, Betcher's really just not blitzing as much, and I think that has a lot more to do with his players on the back end, and it's kind of working, honestly, in past coverage. We'll talk about that a little more later, but they've tried to blitz uh, to rush an extra guy a couple times. I saw them rush five a few times, and it was just completely picked up. And once, actually both times was by a five-man pass protection by the Panthers, five on five. That's really just not good because when I say completely picked up, I mean completely picked up. There was no pressure at all on Cam Newton. He was sitting, sitting, sitting in that pocket. And what I really noticed was no interior pressure from guys like Damon Harrison, who we expected maybe would get a little bit more of that in this new defensive scheme. And that's what they were talking about, Dalvin Tomlinson, you know, these guys, Josh Morrow on the line, even Mario Edwards got some snaps, didn't get much pressure on the interior. That's where I'm noticing the biggest problem. Obviously, Ed, there's no edge pressure really either, but the Giants, but, but I don't know. I mean, for you, Nick, what's the what's the issue here? I mean, is it just a matter of they don't have Olivier Vernon on the field uh, or, you know, they don't really have Lorenzo Carter on the field that often either, and I don't think Barwin's getting much pressure at all. Um, but, you know, what are you seeing? What's the issue here, and can the Giants fix this? I think I think it's two a couple of factors specifically for this game. I think you saw the the micro of the fact that the Carolinas multiple 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 run game from all types of formations yeah. was slowing down the pass rush. And it doesn't mean they have to be successful. It just means that they have to run it. So the defense is is constantly kind of basically interpreting and processing what they see. I think that actually had a big part of it. Uh, and then the other side is is kind of what you said in terms of the. The, the, the line, the protection, I think, whether it was a one-game thing, however you want to break it down, I think they were just beaten. And I think that's okay. I think pass rushes are going to get beaten. I think that where the issue lied, I think, is when the fourth quarter came along and you needed a stop. I saw for the first time, and I'm, I'm not saying that the Giants quit. I'm not saying that their, their heads are in the wrong place. I think this is where what happens is the defense grows. I think that they were – I think that Cam Newton took over the game and that they were physically – pushed around by the line and Newton and that translated into a less of a pass rush into guys absorbing tackles and, and down the road. And I don't mean that in like a super negative way. I think that's what happens when you play a good team versus being a defense that's coming around, finding its way and, and finding its identity as it gets better. Yeah. And also let's, let's keep one thing in mind. It was extremely hot in Carolina that Sunday. Like from what I've heard, the heat there was almost unbearable. And you see that really with both pass rushes. There wasn't really much of a pass right. from the Panthers either in this game. So that just is just one little side note that has to be factored in for sure. Um, but what I also want to talk about, really, which was another factor I think played a key role in the loss, which was the tackling by the Giants overall across the board, really, um, mostly in the first half, but even in the second half. Um, so to me, this was a game where when I put on the All-22, I saw B.J. Goodson play a hell of a game. He didn't play that many snaps at all. But when he was in the game, I thought he was awesome. There were times – there was the – Drive just before the Giants got the uh, got the ball back, where they had to hold the Panthers to a field. Or no, I'm sorry, just before Cam Newton threw the interception on third and eight, 
which really got the Giants back in the game. It was his second interception, the one to Janoris Jenkins, which then gave the Giants a chance to 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 know to really be in the game. Without that, it would have been tough. But on back-to-back plays, Goodson first made a stop on the run game and then made a stop in the screen game. Um, and it and it put them in a third and long situation. Those are back to back all goods and plays. In general, he's been a really short tackler, and this was on full display in this game. So my question to you is this, Nick: In a game where you know going in, one, the Panthers have a multiple rushing attack, which you just broke down. Two, they like to throw a lot of passes around the line of scrimmage, a lot of screen passes, a lot of quick hitting stuff. Is this a game where maybe Betcher should have played Goodson a little more than Ray Ray Armstrong, which was not the case? Yeah, it was what it was. Armstrong had maybe 15 more snaps, I think. Right, which is a lot. When you- yeah, correct. Yeah, for, for people to understand, yeah, that's a that's a that's a bigger chunk. It was Goodson's highest number, I think, in a couple weeks. But yes, uh, you know, it's still it's still less. Um, yes and no. Uh, I think that the Heat and the packages, of terms of being in, you know, have how they wanted to match up this game, maybe didn't maybe didn't work out so much in their favor. What I mean by that is, I saw a fair amount of. 11 and 12 personnel, well, 11 is easy, but the 12 personnel where the Giants came out in nickel and they stayed in nickel. And so they weren't basing as much. And I think if you go to base and you want to stop the run, I think Goodson's the guy that should be there more often. I didn't see the exchange there. So for whatever reason, and, and like you said, maybe it's it may be a success in factor. I don't really know. I think it's okay with the split time. I was a little surprised to see Ogletree at 100 not old, not just because he can't do it, but because, like you said, it was so hot. I'm, I wouldn't be afraid to have both Ray Ray and Goodson on the yeah. field at the same time. So that that actually surprised me a little bit more than the, than Goodson alone. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't be afraid to have those two on the field at the same time either. So maybe that's something we'll see moving forward. Um, one thing I want to get into as well from this defense, and this is kind of an overarching point, but because we've talked about it before, we're really not seeing the blitzing we were almost promised and expecting. At a better at a better this season, and I think it might be by design. I mean, when you look at the players the Giants have in the secondary with Curtis Riley and BW Webb playing a lot of snaps, and until this week when Apple returned, Dante Dayon was playing a lot of snaps. So, what do you think is the reason why we're not seeing as much blitzing from the Giants, and how and you know how has it kind of almost turned their pass coverage into really a strength, uh, which is basically what it is. I saw a stat yesterday. They I, I forgot what it was, but they were top ten. They were number eight in pass cover i believe it was q uh, quarterback passer rating against so um which maybe not be the made may not be the best stat but you know is this by design what are your thoughts on why we've seen a lack of blitzing and what are your thoughts on the pass coverage overall yeah i think that i think it's interesting i think it's it's spot on you're seeing if if he is going to send blitzes you're seeing a lot of zone blitzes so a lot of five rush and three by three in coverage behind it and that puts a lot of it put even that puts a fair amount of pressure on the defense i think it's both personnel and that he doesn't think he has, you know, the, 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 uh, in, in man, on the man side of things that if he wants to stick in man coverage, does he want those guys back there all the time? I think it's a little lack of pass rushing um, efficiency. Like we've talked about because the blitzers that he's sending, if you look like Ogletree did not have a very good game blitzing, you know, he had a few of those five man rushes and he was not really getting home. The best guy was Collins. And then you were highlighting that play on the third and eight that where he made an unbelievable play to basically force the Jenkins interception. Uh, so I think it's that I did see though, which probably not many people would have really cared or looked at, but the, what the Giants coverage actually did in the second half, they played a little bit more pattern match coverage and that fooled both uh, Newton as well as a few of his wide receivers kind of caused the Curtis Riley interception. 
Um, you know, so you're seeing the pat the, the pass rush, the pat sorry, the pass coverage evolve a bit. And what I think that is is Betcher has a wide range of things that he does. He's very multiple. He likes to be aggressive most of the time. What we've seen so far, whether it's by design or because of team specific things, he hasn't shown the blitzing side. I think that may come out. And I think that's going to come out this week, to be frank. And and I think that it's going to be more so going forward as everyone gets more comfortable with, 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 with the scheme itself. Interesting. So more blitzing this week. I like that, especially, um, and I don't want another spoiler alert on the injury report, but Olivier Vernon, he's coming back. So that's big news. I've talked about that before, but I want to talk about another thing player. I also think should just be in for more snaps, but I don't, you know, there might be reasons why he's not, but talking about Lorenzo Carter, um, there was a couple plays in this game on the all 22 where I saw Carter, make an incredibly athletic play to stop Cam Newton on design runs. One was a design run, one wasn't. Uh, or I believe actually both were design runs. And he beat him, you know, he was able to make the tackle and stop Cam Newton from going for a much bigger gain. And on the flip side, when it was Connor Barwin on that edge, he was not able to, to run down Newton. There was one play where it was third and long, I believe, and Newton got to the edge and just beat uh, Connor Barwin and then ran for the first down. Um, so, you know, I think that Carter should be on the field more. Do you think that's something we might see moving forward, Nick? Yeah, and I think that – I don't think that um, – I was tracking his pass rush a bit, a bit on the first couple of weeks, and he saw some good improvements. I'm not saying that he's regressed there, but I think that if yeah. it's tough. If they want to prioritize getting a rusher out there, I'm not saying that Barwin's better than he is, but what I am seeing specifically alone to um, to Carter is that his he doesn't have much of a counter move. It's really speed, and if that's yeah. it – his, he doesn't have a lot of upper body strength yet and technique yet to be able to get past it. So I think that's his initial hurdle. If he can beat that against his tackles, he'll be able to, you know, he'll be able to get more snaps until that happens. I think it's going to be more of the same for him for this first year. Okay. I think you're spot on there, Nick. So I'll definitely start by saying that you're spot on. And I think maybe they're getting a little more of a pass rush out of Barwin, not much, but I think mostly I'll, I'll change my point against teams like the Panthers with Cam Newton and a really multiple run offense that uses the quarterback to run a lot. I'd rather have someone with Carter's athleticism on the field to defend the edge. So just game plan specific. This is just one of those games. I thought he should have played more snaps Mm -hmm. in just like I thought with Goodson. Um, But you know, just moving forward, you're right. He does need to develop more of a passage move. It really wasn't there as well. I agree. Um, I saw that as well. But let's transition to a, a better point here, uh, you know, a more positive point than I guess we'll say. Um, how, you know, it's been interesting how Landon Collins has been used by James Betcher in these last two games, uh, really in one-on-one coverage a lot against Alvin Kamara out of the backfield and Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. Is something you see him doing moving forward, or is it going to be more game plan matchup specific? Because just looking ahead to right now, to Thursday, the Eagles really don't have – with Darren Sproles out and with Jai out and it's going to be a Smallwood-Clement show, the Eagles really don't have as the same kind of threat. You know, Clement is a good route runner. He's all right. But he's not, uh, you know, Alvin, Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey in the passing game. So that's something that you think is more just game plan specific or is that, you know, something we'll see moving forward? I didn't chart the exact snaps, but um, this is something that was a little game planned in the way the Giants deploy big nickel. And so against 11 personnel, big nickel is two safeties instead of basically, um, sorry, a total of three safeties with the extra safety replacing the nickel back uh, BW Webb. So you put um, uh, Michael Thomas in there on the, uh, 
on, at, at the safety position. So um, when they do that, they can have the freedom to then go to two high, which they often do. So it's Thomas and Curtis Riley back there in the backfield. And then that's when um, Collins gets to move up to the line of scrimmage. And what I like about that is it can it frees him up to blitz, but as well, what, like, which what Dan said, it gets him in the coverage on the running back, which is kind of interesting when you have kind of elite running backs like they face. So I think it is specific, but I do like the wrinkles because of the blitzing factor and because he really is the best by actually not really is by far. He's the best blitzing defensive back the Giants have. So around the line of scrimmage is going to, is going to put the, is going to initiate the game to the offense a little bit um, in terms of what they want or dictate the game to the offense for what they want to do. So I think I do like that big nickel for them. It's not to really, well, it is to really kind of hit on BW Webb. I think Thomas is a better player than BW Webb in coverage and versatility wise for, for this game. And even for this next game coming up. I like it. I like that call a lot, Nick, but we're going to get into the preview of this next game. Um, you know, one quick note, just to wrap up my final coverage on the Panthers. If he's willing I think the Giants should 100% continue to use Odo Beckham Jr. on the punt returns. He showed me something. I mean, he showed me in the past, but he made 15 yards out of nothing on that first punt return. Uh, if he's willing to do it, put him back there. I know it puts him at a little bit more of an injury risk, but not enough to me to, to make enough of a difference. I just personally I don't think. You don't have to do it every snap, but at least a few a game, I would put him back there. But Moving on a bit to the Eagles preview coming up this week. Massive game for this Giants franchise. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This is probably the best 1-14 in I've ever seen on All-22. You look at the first five games the Giants season last year, and you the, the All-22 of those games compared to this year, the team looks completely different. That offense didn't even move. The offense, this offense struggles only when they kill themselves with penalties or get themselves in third and long or turn the ball over. The last year's offense didn't even move the ball at all. They had no, they had no movement. They had no long 10, 75 play yard, uh, 75 yard play, 10 play, 75 yard drives, which we've seen against the Texans and, and the, and the saints and multiple times this season, really. Um, so that's one thing, but this is a pivotal game. This is really going to decide their season. If they win this game, they're somewhat back in it only because the NFC East is so bad and they have a big game coming up two weeks after that, but they'll have to really go into the bye three and four, I think, um, with wins over the Eagles. Uh, the Falcons on 11 days rest Monday night, a really reeling Falcons team, which is, has been bit by the injury bug, uh, similar to the Giants defense last season, at least on defense to that ball. Uh, and then finally with the Redskins at home, and that's another key divisional game. So let's start with the preview of the Eagles. I'm going to start with the Giants offense, Nick. Um, what kind of scheme are the Eagles going to play against the Giants this year? And, you know, and how can the Giants attack that? Yeah, so the Eagles stick with their – predominantly single high cover three looks and their cover three is predominantly landmark, meaning they're playing zone, very, very zone cover three where the, where the defenders have to react from an actual spot on the field. Um, that is, it's, I don't want to say it's vanilla, uh, but it's, it's kind of straightforward. It relies on a, a good, a very, very good defensive line and a pretty active secondary. What's happened to them, just by way of background, is, is is McLeod's injury at deep safety has kind of put the group into a little bit of an issue to finding a free safety. And uh, right now it'll be Avante Maddox, the fourth rounder out of Pitt, playing free safety this week on a short week. Um, so that's the coverage has been kind of an in, in issue. But if we start from the line going forward, from the D-line going up, um, you know, how to attack, I think it's I think it's it's going to be – it's going to be tough, I guess. I think they're going to need to find – I think it's going to have to be pass first. 
um, and to basically to help slow down the pass rush with maybe a little bit of quick game. Um, but in the end, because you're you're seeing the strength of their their line start with the interior with with Fletcher Cox, who if people haven't watched the tape for this year, it's kind of crazy. He's basically on a on a mode to try to get defensive player of the year award. He said that, and quite frankly, he's playing like it. So the interior part of the line is where I kind of have the initial worry right off the bat, um, and something where you know for the Giants to kind of start out that that that's gonna be the first problem they have to tackle. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you on every point you said. The interior line is the biggest issue against Omame, or Omame Greco, and Hernandez. Um, and with that said, I do think they should take a little page out of the Ben McAdoo playbook. I mean, look, the Giants really moved the ball in the McAdoo offense against the Eagles twice last year. They found a way to do it against the same defensive coordinator they've got this week. But like you said, this has to be a, a quick pass, but also a pass-first game plan. I know they don't want to do that. No, they want to try to establish the run in every game, but that's just not how you're going to beat this Eagles defense. You talk about Avante Maddox, the guy they're trying to replace, massive guy they lost, Rodney McLeod, a really underrated safety. This guy Maddox has played 82 total snaps. That's it for the Eagles this season. He has the worst grade, according to Pro Football Focus, of any Eagles defense player. You look a little further in the secondary. You have Jalen Mills, their cornerback, the second worst grade of any single player, according to Pro Football Focus, on this Eagles defense. Giants have to religiously attack Mills just like every other team has. He's been targeted 35 times this season. He's allowed reception on 25 of those, 385 yards, a touchdown, 124 yards after the catch. There's a lot of separation there on Jalen Mills. Giants have to attack the matchup with Mills, whether that be Latimer, Shepard, Beckham, even if there's a safety over the top, they have to attack Mills throughout this game. That's how I see it, Nick. Um, but I want to talk a, a little bit about some of the personnel. Or, or I guess I would say, you know, do you think that there's our concepts from Ben McAdoo's playbook, as crazy as it sounds, that the Giants can use to attack this defense? Yeah, I don't know if it's – I. it's funny. I think that, that the personnel matchup will be the bigger side here because I don't think it's going to be a schematic thing. Like you said, I think it's – it's 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 kind of straightforward for how for how people have attacked the Eagles in the in the first three games on the secondary. It's a lot of double moves to Mills' side, as you're saying, and you know Mills is an aggressive style cornerback, so he's going to be biting on a lot of those things. And so you know it, it means that Manning's going to when they do that, Manning's going to need a little bit more time, and they're going to need guys that can run sluggos and and get the bite efficiently. Officially, there are out and ups, and 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 that's how you, how you'll basically beat Mills. Um, or that's how that's how teams have beaten Mills. I don't think it's specifically anything different than than what the Giants have been showing you in, in attacking cover three. I would go back to you know how they did so. Um, my mind's drawing a blank if I'm thinking of basically oh the Cowboys. I would I would think it's very similar to that mix because they run a similar mix of man and zone. They played a little bit more man in the last game against the, the Vikings this past weekend, but you know it's it's mostly that. So I, I don't think it's anything special. Um, I think it's I think it's individuals winning at the at the you know winning at the point of attack. Yeah, and then we flip it to the other side of the ball where the Eagles' offense has really struggled this year, guys. I mean, it's not it's not just they had to deal with Nick Foles for a couple games, their savior who obviously you know came back down to earth. It's the fact that even with Wentz in the lineup, they're not moving the football. The Eagles have fewer points this season than the New York Football Giants. I know that might sound crazy to you, and guess what? They really have played a lot easier schedule of defenses if you really look at it. And the Giants have. They've played the Falcons defense. They've played the Colts defense for starters. They have to play the Vikings, of course. Um, but so for me, I'm looking at this offense. I'm wondering what's the problems. And I talked to some, I talked to an Eagles insider myself that I know, Jeff Curry, works for 24-7 sports. He does a really good job with this team. He told me there's just issues on the offensive line 
that don't really add up or make any sense to him. Lane Johnson's playing bad football at right tackle for the first time in his career. Jason Peters, I guess he's playing hurt because he's playing pretty bad football. They've got a real big problem at the guard spot with Isaac Samolo. Samu, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. How do you know how do you pronounce this guy's name? Samalo. Samalo, yeah. <clears throat> um, and Stephen was in, was as well. Was as well. Who's also played a, a fair chunk of snaps. They, you know, Kurz told me the communication issues are 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 there on the offensive line, and they're really having problems. But in addition to that, I see an offense that. Struggles to really find an identity. They didn't really find an identity running the football with a Jai. Now he's out for the year. And they really don't get much deep separation from their wide receivers. So to me, this is a winnable game for Giants defense. This is the game where the Giants defense should be able to shut down Carson Wentz. Do you see it any differently? I think it's, yeah, the offensive line issues are both acute and then widespread, if that makes sense. Uh, last year, uh, if you broke their team down, it's kind of interesting. They were very susceptible to stunts to about up, up until about week nine. Um, that issue went away because of, of of game planning or poor game planning from weeks really ten to thirteen, and it really for some reason went away in the playoffs. Uh, you could call that great coaching. You call it opportunistic. I don't know. It's now back because it nothing really has changed. So when you see teams stunt against them, almost in a worse way than what the giants had to deal with earlier in the season. Every team deals with problems. This is, this, this was their problem. This was their problem to start the first few games. Then to, to Dan's point, you've seen Lane Johnson get beat off of speed rushes where it doesn't really make any sense. You've seen Peters lose in a couple in many different ways, actually. Um, yeah. It's, it's a team that's trying to, to, to plug those holes a little bit with personnel that won a Super Bowl not long ago. Uh, so why I, I don't really know, but that's what exactly what the giants should attack. And for the first time, the Giants are facing a, a pass protection scheme that is, you know, for the first time versus the last two weeks. This is uh, this is a line that is vulnerable and it's vulnerable to stunts and it's vulnerable to twists and it's vulnerable to delay blitzes, I think, um, all of which I think Betcher is going to load up on. And then to another to back into Dan's point, you know, you're having their wide receiver group is a little better than you'd expect. Um, just with Jeffrey back, I think I would give them a little more credit, but for the first two to three, for the first two seconds, I think that, I think the giants can, can, can send blitzers off the close edges, edges and get Wentz to move. Now that's partially an issue because he's very good on, on, you know, he's very good at improvising. He's very, he's kind of an escape artist, but I think that way of initiating this team is going to be the way to, to break the, the offense down as the Titans did as you know as the vikings did to some degree but i actually like the way the titans did it better almost um in terms of just blitzing and playing a lot of too high and, and mixing a lot of looks um and that way there's definitely things to worry about um uh, we can go through them now but i would just it's it's kind of interesting where it, this is this is like you said dan this is this is a t- this is a game where you know i think if they if they dictate the pace they can take this on the defensive side yeah and this could be the game where this defensive line or this pass rush finally breaks out olivier vernon He's back. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we move on to the injury report and some questions from the fans? Yeah, I think just one thing that guys kind of have to kind of have to be wary of. Um, <laughs> Doug Doug Peterson will do things that will surprise you, make you laugh, and and then they look smart because they're basically successful. The Eagles are probably going to come out in twelve personnel or thirteen personnel, some tight end heavy package, just to go through the tight ends to get guys to understand. Um, what they have dealing with here besides Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is kind of the go-to guy on third down, but I would not discount Dallas Goddard. 
260 pounds, first rounder out of South Dakota State this year. He's very good in blocking, so they're going to use him all over the place. He's probably the best rookie blocker I've really seen, um, and he's very good. He's kind of got deceptive speed on the second uh, to getting to the second level. So the thing that I would kind of worry about is either him on vertical routes or double moves, as well as even Josh Perkins, who no one's ever really heard of. Um, 6'3", 220 kind of guy. He's a small, so the tight ends. When they go tight end heavy, they're dangerous, and they're dangerous specifically, specifically to Ogletree with vertical routes. He's had issues there. His strength is going laterally when they go vertical. If he's carrying a running back vertical or a tight end vertical, I think that's where you have to kind of watch out for. Um, so I would want, honestly, I'd want Ogletree on the blitz side, blitzing side of the house much more than the coverage side of this game. I like it, Nick, and I could not agree more. Goddard was my number one tight end coming into this class. I think he could be a massive X factor in this game if the Giants aren't careful. And I like what you said, you know, maybe have it switch where you'll have Ogletree on the blitzing side and Armstrong in coverage uh, against Goddard on those vertical routes. Um, but as we move through, we're going to touch on the injury report before we get to your questions. Uh, the final injury report just dropped. Some good news and some bad news for the Giants. Um, yesterday during Tuesday's practice, Evan Ingram was supposedly a full speed, full go, testing out his knee, his injured knee. But he did have a brace on, so I thought that was curious. Um, he's been ruled out. The Giants, listen, the Giants have been unbelievably cautious about injuries this year. That's kind of uh, evolving to the Pat Shermer way. I don't hate it, especially if, you know, long-term, it's hard to tell if it's going to prevent long-term injuries. But, I mean, just example, last game, Cody Latimer wasn't even listed on the injury report. He didn't play a snap because the Giants didn't like how – how he reacted to the warm-ups and whatnot. And they said, you know, he'd come in the game if an emergency happened. So that just gives you an example of why, you know, we may have seen some of these injuries linger a little more. And I don't think – I think this – I think Shepard is close, though. I mean, sorry, Ingram is close, though, and he will be back for the Monday night game against the Falcons. But, you know, the Giants really could have used him against the Eagles. And I've made the point before, and I'll make it again. I think he's a much bigger X factor in this offense um, than people realize. He really gives them a good way to – to counter the cover, you know, the zone coverage defenses they, they've been seeing and that's been giving them trouble. But it won't happen this week. On the good news side, Olivier Vernon, not even listed on the final injury report. Will he have a snap count? I don't know. Will he have a pitch count? I don't know. Uh, but earlier in the week, head coach Pat Shermer said that if players are not listed on the injury report, they are will not be playing on a snap count. They will be a full go, and I will just use them as much as I want to, basically. So I wouldn't be totally shocked if Vernon is a full go in his first game back. A couple other injury tidbits. Um, Aldrick Roses removed from the injury report after not practicing the first two days. I thought that one was really you know uh, alarming to me because he's been perfect for them, really excellent as a kicker, knock on wood. Damn, I really wanted to not say that in this podcast. Just, just not <laughs> guy i mean kickers you know with these kickers it's all mental look at mason crosby last week but he's not on the injury report anymore he'll be good to go russell shepherd ruled out i'm not a big shepherd guy personally but i i mean if latimer goes down it's going to be trouble because i think that eli's communication with joel davis is completely off um so i don't really want him taking snaps but the good news is latimer's back that's really it major injury wise for the giants right now um i'm pretty sure that's actually oh Rhett ellison's questionable that's not great. He has a foot injury. I don't know the extent of that. Obviously, if he can't play, I think he will play. But obviously, if he either can't play or can't play his full complement of snaps or gets injured mid-game, it's a major problem for the Giants without Evan Ingram, let's be honest here. Um, you know, Ellison's played almost 100% of the snaps the last two games without Ingram. They just can't really afford to put Simonson on the field, Scott Simonson or Garrett Dickerson, in my opinion. 
Um, so I think if, if, you know, if he needs a limited snap count, they'll go to more 11 personnel with three receivers in this game. Um, maybe even some 21 with, with Presley on the field. Uh, or I'm sorry, Penny, not Presley. Um, I was thinking of Jarrell Presley for some reason. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on for the injury report for the Eagles side of the ball, nothing major. Again, the Giants come in as probably the more injured team, but Darren Sproles is ruled out for what it's worth. Um, same with Elodie Nada. That's probably the biggest injury the Eagles have, Elodie Nada. Um, but, you know, he wasn't, you know, just having him in Cox in the middle is never great uh, for an opposing offense. But let's move on now to some of the fan questions you guys sent in. Uh, not as many questions this week, guys. Hopefully you guys will start sending in more. I got to do a better job of getting it out earlier as well. But we love these questions, and I think that's the best part of the show, personally, when I get to these questions. So I'm going to start it off with you by asking you a question, Nick. You're going to answer this one. It's my favorite one we got this week. Um, Adam Johnson asks, hey, fellas, where does the lack of run game stem from? Is it, techni- is it technicality, physicality? Is Saquon not making the right cut or all of the above? Yeah, I think we yeah, we touched on it. I think it's, it's, it's all of the above, which will get better with time. In terms of the unit playing together more, the the tackle, the, the guards and tackles are going to know what to expect from Saquon more in terms of how he's reading inside zone, and then he's going to basically press play side a little bit more instead of maybe always going to the early cutback. I think it's a little bit of that. I do think though, schematically, they have to show a little bit more wrinkles to to not be as predictable. And I hate to play armchair coordinator, but it, when you see guys jumping the run game, it, like we saw with Shaq Thompson in a couple instances, that's that's a problem. Uh, so I think it's a combination of, of all that. Yeah, I love that point you made with the Shaq Thompson jumping the run games and uh, the run lanes and just the Panthers in general predicting the Giants run game. That's something they'll, they'll look at and hopefully they'll make the adjustments. Um, Hefty Lefty asks, if the Giants finish – Six and ten, but Eli finishes with about forty-five hundred passing yards, twenty touchdowns, and ten interceptions. Do they automatically draft his replacement, or do they let him finish out his contract without any controversy? I am, and he says, I am in favor of an ex- one-year extension to reduce the twenty nineteen cap hit. Where do you stand on this one, Nick? <laughs> Go to me with this tough question. Uh, I will say this: I think I think it's going to have nothing to do with statistics. I think if I think the decision is going to be made, quote unquote, the decision, if it is going to be decision, it's going to be made earlier than that. Um, I think if the Giants are, let's just say they get to six and 10 by way of one and six, one and seven, you're going to have the discussion then. Um, and uh, I don't think he's going to be extended. And I think it's a win loss combined with his ability to make decisions within this offense. And right now I got him graded around solid. And I think that's solid but inconsistent. And until that changes, I think it I think it has to change for him to for him to be here next year. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on how they finish, if they go on a run at the end. Like you said, if they start one and seven, finish six and ten, he's he, I think he's gonna be gone as well. Um I haven't probably graded out a little bit better than you, but more so than that, I think that fans will realize fast that if they have to put in a rookie, as we've seen with these rookies across the board, who in my opinion are struggling to move the football, and these are top picks. Um, they're not playing bad, none of them, but they're struggling to move the ball. Um, Baker, Rosen, Darnold, with the exception of a couple games here and there. Um, and, you know, if they had to turn to Laletta, this offense to me would look really bad, really, really bad right now. I mean, there's no way to tell for sure, but that's just how I see it. But none of that really matters in the end. He's taking up a massive chunk of the Giants' salary cap space. And if he's not playing great football, the Giants are not really going to benefit from paying him a massive chunk of their sal- – allocating a massive chunk of their salary cap space to him. And especially if they're 6-10 and 10 
and they're in that mid-range for, for drafting a quarterback, you know, it's going to be tough for them. They don't have that many draft picks. They lost their third rounder by drafting Sam Beal this year uh, in the supplemental draft. So they don't really have much ammo to trade. You really don't want to trade these draft assets. I mean, they're just so valuable to get a guy in the second or third round on a contract that pays him just a million or under against the cap four straight years. You just can't put a price on how valuable that is to winning a, for a winning football team. So to me, I think that I, I, we're pretty much spot on here, Nick. I do think that it's going to be tough for him to to stay to, to, to hang on to his job with the Giants if they don't make a run towards the playoffs. Um, Jordy asks, hey, uh, you're going to love this one, Nick. Jordy <laughs> asks, why do the Giants have no desire to sign another safety? Riley is by far and away their worst defensive player. I've never seen a player miss so many tackles. And on top of that, he got burned in week two. Got it. So many spots to talk. So many places to start here. Good question, first of all. Um, and uh, I will say this: even let's just I will get to the end of my answer, and then I'll work backward. I think when they do sign a free safety or whoever it is who's a bigger, flashier player, if they do, I think Riley definitely stays within the rotation and stays on the team and is a prominent player because of the traits that he shows. So now that's my conclusion. If we go all the way back to the beginning or kind of if we still go back chronologically, week to the burn, I guess he's talking about the the Tavon Austin touchdown where Jenkins got smoked off of the jab step. And so we're, you know, on that play, <laughs> Tavon Austin's running down the field wide open because the cornerback loses his man. Do you want your court, your safety to make the saving tackle? Sure, but that's not why the touchdown occurred. And so I think that's where the expectations for Riley is, is what's kind of the big dislocation, I think. Um, you know, he's not Ed Reed, and he, but he is a very capable player that's giving you capable snaps and is making interceptions and making stops. And, you know, I don't think last game was his, was his strongest game, even though he had an interception. Um, I think that the, the lack of finding someone else who in, the, in that secondary is because that's, I mean, Dan knows this better than anyone else. This is how Gettleman and Gettleman operates. It's how can you, finding assets that are on the cheap on the defensive backside of the house and grooming them and, and hope, and then drafting them over time, you know, you going that way. So I don't think it's going to be a free agency signing. I think it'll be something that they will do in the draft um, because they need the depth desperately. Uh, you know, besides besides these guys, there's just really not a lot of 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 kind of uh, you know they don't have a good a good foundation behind that. Um, but I do think that he is playing capable football in the main in the meanwhile. Yep. Um, and then Rob asks our final question of the week: Do you think that Shermer had to quote unquote? learn that checking down instead of throwing to OBJ isn't always necessary and that OBJ can not only come away with contested catches, but also play D-back to defend against interceptions when necessary, like he did in the Carolina game. Um, I'll start by saying, I don't think the checkdowns are really a Shermer thing. Um, I think that we've touched on this, but I think it was more of an Eli thing. And I think that in this game, Eli did a really good job of not checking down really at all. He really passed up all of his checkdowns, almost to a fault at some times, but not much, just maybe one or two plays. He went for it. He went for He took chances. So I wouldn't put that on Shimmer. What do you think about that question, Nick? Yeah, I don't think it – I think he's still, like he said, still, like I said, gelling with and, and understanding what the capabilities of the of the team are from a passing perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I though – I was asked today, like, you know, uh, the thread that I had on Beckham, you know, what am I really saying? I, I don't really know yet. I just will say that I don't think he's winning – He's, I don't think he's winning in isolation, and I don't think he's really winning on the catch at the catch point against very good corners. I think against mid-level corner talent, sure, but against the the you know against a guy like Bradbury who had a very good game, he didn't consistently. 
And so, you know, I, I think it's still kind of out there in terms of, you know, do you want to just chuck it up to Beckham and, and kind of and, and, and run your offense that way? Yeah, I mean, I think the lazy analysis would have told you that Beckham's never at fault. You know, he never loses a route. It's always either the quarterback's fault if the ball – but that's not always the case. Beckham's not perfect. You know, he doesn't win every route. Sometimes the defensive back beats him, and that was the case at least twice against the Panthers. Um, anyway, moving on, we'll do our predictions and, our, and, and wrap up the show here. Uh, I'll start us off, Nick. I think the Giants are going to win this game. I think last week they proved to me finally for the first time that even when things aren't going wrong, they can snap out of a kind of a confidence drag down that they kind of had been having in the previous weeks against the Saints and Cowboys. And they really fought back hard. And I think if the game ever does go on script for them to start, like we saw against the Texans, they can really take control of the game like we saw in that game. I think that's going to be one of the games here. That's going to be one of the things that happens here uh, in this game. I'm going to go with Giants 23 Eagles 17, a low scoring game in this one. Um, where do you what do you see happening on this one? In this one, Nick? I think kind of the same low scoring, uh, low scoring, not sloppy, but you know these Thursday night games, it's super tough. You're not going to see a lot of crazy things in the play calling for the most part. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be twenty to seventeen Giants, twenty to twenty to eighteen, that type of like kind of gritty game. I think you're going to see some explosive plays on both sides, some blown stuff on both sides. But overall, I think it's going to be kind of choppy and. Maybe something where only the, the, the fans that really care are going to be tuning in because it may be kind of a slow first half. Yeah. All right, guys. On that note, we are going to wrap it up here. As usual, thank you guys for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. If you guys can, please, please, please do us the favor and hit subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating. Uh, write a review. And do, and that will just help us build the show out even to even greater heights. And it will really do us a nice, nice solid. So thanks again for tuning in. Um, on that note, I'll let you close us off, Nick. Uh, go Giants! <laughs> there we go. We, we we had we had to throw it back in there because we stopped and the Giants had lost against the Panthers. So now it's back. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and we'll talk to you guys soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.